This week on episode 505 of Priority One, we trek out the tweet that broke the Star Trek community, the fate of the multiverse, and a look into Star Trek Discovery's special effects for season three. In gaming, grab yourself a Phoenix Prize pack and check out the update to the Azure Nebula. Later, Dr. Robert Hurd reports on black holes with this week's Astrometrics Report. You're listening to a Roddenberry podcast. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 505 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly recap and review of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode was recorded on Tuesday, April 20th and available for download or streaming on Friday, April 23rd at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elio. I'm Kat. And I'm Roscoe. Guys, I'm really excited to share with you uh, two items that we ordered in celebration of our 500th episode. So for those of you that are listening to this recording, be sure to visit us over at YouTube uh, and watch at least the very start of our live stream broadcast to take a look at our 500th episode patch <gasps> Ooh, nice Whoa. right that's so awesome. shiny and our 500th episode coaster oh <gasps> i need yes. those these are very very well done and i'm very pleased with how these came out so uh a shout out to all of our patrons who will be receiving at least one of each and then the rest of them i'll be taking with me to conventions and whatnot to give away when we are back in person so if you are one of our patrons be on the lookout for a message asking you to update your mailing address because i plan to send these out uh sometime in the early summer around june after the semester ends but these are these are gorgeous so exciting those are awesome i might send you guys now comes the decision of where do I put my patch? Where does it go? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Do I keep it just as the patch? It's so nice. Do I put it on a hat or a cap or a t-shirt or a shirt? The opportunities are endless. That's That's very exciting. We want to welcome new listeners to the show and hope you'll stay in touch. You see, we are a podcast produced by the community, a community of Star Trek fans. So it's important that we also hear your opinions. Be sure to follow us on places like Twitter and Facebook, where we post weekly community questions, special announcements, and more. Just search for Priority One Podcast on your favorite app and you'll find us. Or you can email us, reach out at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. As Roscoe said, this is a community podcast produced by a team of volunteers that dedicate their time and talents each and every week. From audio editors to writers to us, the hosts, we come together each week because we're passionate about the Star Trek multiverse. And like any passion project, it's hard to keep things running at no cost. So if you find value 
value in this production and want to help us continue to grow, check us out at our Patreon page. There you can become a patron for as little as a dollar a month. And if you have $10 a month to spare, you get access to an entire bonus podcast that we call After Hours. There we invite special guests. We have unedited, unscripted conversations about the latest things happening in Star Trek or general science fiction. For example, last week, we had a very special guest join the conversation. Star Trek Online's lead ship artist, Thomas Maroney, jumped on to talk about ship design in general. From what you see on Star Trek Discovery, to Star Trek Online, to science fiction in general, it was an incredible conversation. And the week prior to that, we had Nick Dugan, Star Trek Online's environment artist, to talk about his design of Boreth. So we try to take care of our patrons by providing content that we think they'll enjoy. So remember that website is patreon.com forward slash priority one. And it's important to mention too that last week's episode of After Hours also featured, just in case you can't get enough of the Australian accent here, Tony was able to go through and try out his own variation of an Australian accent. And look, I've got to say, good on him for trying. (laughs) But Captains, we understand that a financial contribution may be tough, which is why, like a community theatre group, we are always looking for volunteers. Anybody who can help us make the show better, from audio editing to graphic design to video editors to artists and even hosting. So visit us over at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Click the link at the top that says join the team for a list of all the available positions. Now let's find out what's been happening in the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. On Monday, April 19th, Michael Dorn broke Twitter. Well, he metaphorically broke Twitter. At least the corner of Twitter that most Trekkies hang out in. You see, he posted a tweet that read, Just got the news. Being summoned back into action. Starfleet calls. Hashtag AD. Now, at the time of this writing, the post had been retweeted almost 3,000 times and liked nearly 40,000 times. And I think everyone assumed that it was a quote-unquote official announcement that he would be reprising his role as Worf in an upcoming Star Trek film or television production. Even our own team at Priority One had mistakenly believed that this was another slip-up from one of the actors and assumed it to be an announcement that he had been cast to return. Well, we're not journalists, nor have we ever announced ourselves to be. For 500 episodes, we curate the big headlines from industry sources and do our best to offer our thoughts and reviews on the subject. So, it was definitely our mistake to have retweeted it as if though it had been an official announcement of his return to the small or big screen. Nevertheless, the fine folks at Trek Movie and io9, with their constantly reliable sources, did their due diligence and have confirmation that, unfortunately, Michael Dorn's tweet, quote, whatever this is, it isn't related to a Paramount Plus Star Trek project. End quote. So that's that. Worf is not returning, at least not to any Paramount Plus or theatrical film Star Trek project. But let's say he did. What would that look like? For those of you who have read the IDW Countdown series that set up the Kelvin Fork, you know that Worf was impaled by Nero. And if you didn't, I'm not going to give you a spoiler warning for it. Speaking of spoiler warnings, if you haven't played Star Trek Online, well... Black alert. Black alert. 
In Star Trek Online, he's an ambassador. And most recently, if you read Una McCormick's novel set in the Star Trek Picard universe, spoiler alert, you learn that he is now the captain of the Enterprise. So that leads us to our first community question this week. If you were writing for Worf's return in a show like Star Trek Picard, how would you set it up? Violently. Yeah, I mean, it'd have to be like With come out necklace. of nowhere. Okay, or that too. I mean, I'm, I'd never even thought about him coming back to Picard. Yeah, you, I, I don't know. I'm interested to see what everyone has, you know, suggested next week though. What about you, Roscoe? How do you, what do you think would be a nice way of reintroducing him into the franchise? Well, I really enjoyed reading the uh, Destiny novels and kind of picked up a few Star Trek novels from that point. Uh, so I enjoyed reading the Titan series and, um, and a few that sort of followed on in the timeline from that. And Worf is Captain Picard's first officer on the Enterprise E in that series and it goes quite well he has a uh, relationship with another member of the crew uh, which ends in tragedy it's some nice character development for Worf in that post Borgified world because that's a that's a universe where the Borg no longer exist as the Borg anymore which is fascinating in itself and um, I'll leave you to read the three part book series of Destiny if you would like to find out more because it's Actually, I enjoyed it. It's it's not bad. As to how you would bring in Ambassador Worf or Captain Worf or just Worf, plain old regular Worf into something like Star Trek Picard, I think it would go back to, if you think about how they structure Picard, it is looking at his life and taking those moments and moving them forward. So the biggest regret in Picard's life was that Data gave his life for Picard. We've worked that through in the first season. So other regrets, other scenarios, I think we'll see that a lot in in season two. But, I mean, Picard was the arbiter of succession for the Klingon Empire at one point which eventually led to Gowron, which eventually led to Martok. So what would come from that? Hmm. I think I think there would definitely be a way to bring Worf back. And it, if, if it involves... Basically what I'm getting at is they would need J.G. Hertzler. They would need J.G. Hertzler to get back into Martok, and then you get Worf back, and then I'm happy, and I think everyone, uh, a lot of fans would be happy as well. Well, let us know in the comments section for this episode how you think or how you would like to see Worf return in the show by replying to our community question posts on social media like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or by visiting PriorityOnePodcast.com and commenting on our episode post. Last week, we recapped an interview that Akiva Goldsman had done with The Hollywood Reporter about what viewers can expect from the next season of Star Trek Picard and Star Trek Strange New Worlds. This week, Variety spoke with Alex Kurtzman and several other executives in an article that explores how big intellectual properties like Star Trek, Star Wars, and all those are influencing streaming in the film industry. When exploring how the production and distribution of media has shifted, especially during the COVID-19 pandemic when theaters were shut down, Kurtzman explains that, quote, I think vertical alignment hath made it so that it's impossible not to accept the reality that the line between movies and television 
television is gone. It doesn't mean that you can't have a feature that is separate from television, but if they aren't connected in some way, then you're basically running two universes parallel as opposed to interconnected, and I think that those messages could potentially cancel each other out. End quote. Interestingly, in the wake of the merger, the Star Trek team of showrunners are apparently meeting monthly. Kurtzman told Variety, quote, We make sure that those showrunners are coordinating so that they're not stepping on each other's toes, end quote. So, Star Trek Discovery aired back in 2017. Star Trek Picard aired in January of 2020. Is it possible that with this new way of collaborating between showrunners and executives, we'll see more cohesive storytelling and development? You know, I'd like to think so. The the way the timeline of this seems to have worked out is that, you know, Discovery was clearly into, definitely into its second season, probably starting the gears for its third by the time the merger happened and by the time that this monthly meeting of showrunners was happening. Uh, same thing with Picard, right? Picard aired in 2020, but 2019 was when it was filmed and produced, right? So I don't know that we have yet seen a show that has been influenced by this this new production approach, right? Where everybody's doing their best to stay on their on the same page and not step on each other's toes. I think with this latest round of filming that that's where we're at right now. Like they've probably been doing this meeting. So with the next season of Discovery with Strange New Worlds, probably and and the new season of Picard like whatever right 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 but we haven't seen anything yet we haven't seen the fruits of that labor yet maybe the third season of, of Discovery a little bit we might have started to see that influence but I'm eager to see what is produced now that they are of the mindset that there is no separation or delineation between what we see on streaming television like Paramount Plus and what we may see in theaters I think that COVID really put pushed going to the theater out of our collective minds a little bit. I think now with the way content is delivered, people want it right now and you want to watch it in whatever form, whatever method you want to see it, but you want it instantly. So it's not necessarily like the location. It's like the instantaneous delivery that people want so much now, I think. Although COVID did dramatically change the, the face of you know, the film industry as we know it. And look, that's what HBO Max has done. They're delivering on the big screen and on your screen at home releases on the same day. So they're treating their feature films like they are available to you right now. They are, they are treating them the same whether they deliver them to your home or whether you go to the cinema for a full cinema experience. You go, you get the popcorn, you get the enormous drink, and you go and you sit and you enjoy. I really thought it was interesting in the article they spoke with Julie Pleck, who is the showrunner and co-architect on the CW of The Vampire Diaries, and she talked about riding the wave of IP because the internet intellectual property rules the day but at some point there she predicts there'll be a, a backlash from creatives and from viewers as well where they will go okay we're seeing lots of stories regarding this particular IP and we're rehashing characters we're taking one-off characters and expanding on their story we now want something new and she predicts that will 
come in the future. But at the moment, right now, they're just, they're riding the wave. They're being creative with what audiences are lapping up, which is more stories of existing characters. I, I think really at the core of this article is the, the conversation about how franchises handle both. And I think that Kurtzman, if you take him for at his word, is on the right track. That if we're going to fork into the Kelvin universe, that the stories being told on streaming television should help influence that. You know what show I think really did well with that? Uh, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Especially during Captain America Winter Soldier films, you know, and the collapse of, of S.H.I.E.L.D. and whatnot. So what I like about this is that they would treat Star Trek in the same way. Hopefully realigning focus so that you know the film the feature films aren't just the kelvin timeline and that paramount plus is the 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 prime timeline or whatnot but that instead one influences the other and art one could argue that kurtzman is the one of the right people to do this given that he has crossed between film and television quite often in his career whether he can do it in a way that satisfies the needs of of the Star Trek fandom while still creating engaging stories is yet to be seen. But do the needs of the Star Trek fandom outweigh the needs of the corporation? This is the yes. eternal question. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Depends if, you if your warp cores on fire or not. <laughs> yeah, this article is really interesting. I also thought it was interesting that they did the org charts of all the you know major streaming networks that are out there right now. Well, I just wanted to point it out. In those org charts, there was 50 people. Nine were women. Two were women of color. That was my observation. Uh, from that article at the end there, it kind of hits you over the head. So that's the industry we're looking at. Pixo Mondo, the Emmy-nominated visual effects house for Star Trek Discovery, released a highlight reel of the visual effects scene in Discovery Season 3. In the video, we hear VFX supervisor Phil Jones explaining some of the complexities involved in designing ships for the 32nd century. One challenge in particular was Book's chameleon ship, which had to be reconfigured to fit in the Discovery's shuttle bay. Not to mention, it constantly changed shape when flying. The team also designed most of the planet and ground locations by starting with live action footage and layering in additional effects. For example, the scene from the ice planet was built from footage shot in Iceland. As we have discussed on previous episodes of the show, the article also confirmed that season four is being shot on a virtual production stage, Mandalorian style. Yeah, I watched that video. It was pretty cool. I mean, the way they built the stuff. I mean, considering, you know, they had a lot to think about designing for the future. It was pretty pretty cool how they put it all together. I'm really eager to see the uh, the massive virtual production stage applied to Star Trek because gee golly, did it look good in, on The Mandalorian. Yeah, it did. I just rewatched that. It's so good. <laughs> and captains, in a last bit of unfortunate news, the actor Felix Sila, who played Adam's family member Cousin It, has died after a battle with pancreatic cancer. He was 80 Sila was a trained circus performer who came to the United States from Italy in 1955. He toured with the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Show, which ultimately led him to roles in Hollywood as a stuntman. His links to Star Trek go back to the very beginning. Sila was a Talosian in the original pilot The Cage, but his list of credits is extensive 
And along the way, he worked with the likes of Michael Dorn in 1977's Demon Seed, with Michael and Sarah in 1978's The Manitou, and in the 1979 film The Brood, directed by David Cronenberg. Also this week, Robert Fletcher, Star Trek costume designer, has died aged 98. Fletcher is the designer behind the Klingon and Vulcan looks established in the feature films, which have since become iconic to the franchise. He was also the designer of the full set of rank pins used in Wrath of Khan and beyond. Robert Fletcher received three Tony Award nominations for his work on Little Me in 1963, High Spirits in 1964, and Hadrian the Seventh in 1969. In 2005, he was awarded the Career Achievement Award from the Costume Designers Guild, and in 2008, he received a Theatre Development Fund, Irene Sharif Lifetime Achievement Award for his set design work. The amazing thing about Robert Fletcher is you look at the design of Klingons from the feature film through to the one with the whales and the look of Vulcan as well, the planet, the costumes, that's continued through the entire franchise over the next few decades and continues still. So his work there really can't be understated. Well, Captains, that's all the news we have to trek out this week. Now let's find out what happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. Welcome aboard, Captain. Congratulations. High score. Now until April 27th, captains on PC can claim a free Phoenix prize pack each day. So why not take the time to say hi to Grimm on Drozana Station or shoot the breeze with Ona on Deep Space Nine? If you're brand new to Star Trek Online, your account can claim one prize pack per day, or you can purchase the pack in single or bundles of 10 for dilithium. Upon opening the pack, you receive a token that has five levels of rarity. The top two tiers, Ultra Rare and Epic, will allow you to claim a T5 or T6 starship. For a full list of available prizes, check out the link in our show notes. The most interesting part is the experimental upgrade tokens are now available to claim at the Ultra Rare level. It's not the first time the token has been a part of the prize pack, however, the blog post announcing the event states that these tokens will only be available in this pack during this event which is true because it's only available when they run the event, but they've run it before. But will they run it again? They better because I already have all those ships in the epic one, so I need more of the upgrade tokens. You know, these Phoenix... I know you guys talked about this uh, on the episode where I wasn't on uh, regarding gambling and the phoenix and the boxes lock boxes i gotta say man the the phoenix price packs they get me like gambling gets me like not gets me i don't have a gambling problem but it gets me like gambling would right where i'm like all right i'll just i'll convert these into the epic ones and i'll try again and i'll keep trying and i'll keep trying and i'll you know throw in dilithium into it hoping to get something good you know yeah but you do get something good every time do you feel more comfortable about that because you're using in-game currency? You know, currency that you've earned in Dilithium as opposed to Zen, which you purchase? I don't feel comfortable doing it at all. Really? Yeah. See, yeah, I, I open Phoenix prize packs for the upgrades. So to me, I'm spending 40,000 Dilithium for a Phoenix prize pack. But I know that I'm getting it. If I get something cool, great. But I just need some upgrades because those are awesome. <laughs> and it's much cheaper to upgrade your gear with that instead of trying to 
do it the other way. Mm-hmm. I'm the same. I know I'm, I'm going to it for upgrades. I'm stoked when I get something epic or ultra rare. Yeah, but I don't expect that. But I mean, to me, it's like I'm doing it for upgrades. So let me ask you this. Last I remember, one of these, like, if you're an escort pilot, you know, and you like to Go shoot things fast. and explode <laughs> them fast, mm-hmm. uh, the Domino do console from the uh, Bajoran Interceptor was the like the hotness to have. Yes. Is that still the case, or is from the epic ship list on these Phoenix prize packs, is there a console or a tier five mastery trait that people should try to get during this Phoenix prize pack event? Well, the Domino console is still very, still amazing. So if you do have that Interceptor, great, you should still get that. I think for, you know, when they add that experimental upgrade token, it's just, that's a good thing to get if you get an ultra rare, which is kind of hard to get, but... It's slightly ultra rare to get an ultra rare. <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. But I said as far it. as the yeah, the ships that are available with the epic Phoenix upgrades tokens or the Phoenix tokens, those were actually event ships for the most part. So if you actually ran those events, you probably have a good choice of those. But if you didn't, like say you never got the Ferengi Nandi or that Breen ship with that one trait that I can't remember the name of right now. God, what is that? Those are those two favorite ships to get out of that epic one. If you are lucky enough to win. The reactive that. repair nanites? Is that the one you're talking about? No, cold hearted. What is that trait? I think it's cold hearted from that brain ship. But that's a really popular trait too that people like to have. I think I have the Denorius Interceptor from an event. So the domino console is on most of my phaser builds. Yeah, it's it goes very, very well. But did I remember, and feel free to correct me, do I remember that the experimental upgrade token token was mentioned as something that players would eventually be able to craft or build. Am I remembering that correctly? It seems to ring a bell. It was when they were first released? I don't remember that, but... Hmm. I, I might be remembering that incorrectly, but I felt like that was something that they, that Cryptic were potentially working towards, and that would be my next question, just in terms of the experimental upgrade token, because there's the option there to add an extra console. There's an option there to boost your ship. You're going to take it if you can, so if you can also... We've got to a point where you could craft it using materials you have. Now we're talking. I like the sound of that but we'll wait and see ask some questions get some confirmation on that well captains of the items available to you in the phoenix prize packs why don't you tell us the ones that you think everybody should try to get their hands on let us know in the comments section for this episode of priority1podcast.com or just reply to this community question post when we put it on our social media channels like facebook twitter and instagram and if you happen to be playing through tfos over the weekend you may have noticed the azure nebula and vault ensnared tfos have been remastered updates include different optional requirements updated timers and more noticeable indicators. Yeah, I just noticed those because I did not see the tweet that announced this because those weren't in the patch notes, but I got Azure Nebula as a random and 
yeah, once you get in there, you're like, oh my gosh, this looks totally different, where they redid the boulders and the ships, and they changed the optionals to, I think, better ones that are probably more achievable, because you know those random ships that, that come out of nowhere, and you never get a five, and you always get ones right in a row? They fix Every that. Every time. I know, right? Why? Anyway, so the timers are different. The um, optionals that you are, you know, that you get the bonus marks for, those are different. And in Vault Ensnared, they cut out a big chunk of like the cutscene for all the things when the you know Tholian ships are building their web those are different so it looks really cool and it and it's smoother like the whole TFO comes across much better so kudos good job because those were some much needed updates to those but isn't it good that after 11 years in the game they've gone through and they have updated the the textures and updated the backgrounds tweaked things slightly but the basic mechanics of those TFOs are still good. They're still worthwhile playing. So when it comes up, you hit the random TFO and that's what you get. It's good. You're not disappointed. And that's, uh, they've just gone through and, and updated them slightly. I, I, I found that and, and really, yeah, always enjoy when the Azure Nebula turns up, but then a scimitar doesn't. Well, that is frustrating. <laughs> but um, yeah, the, both of those TFOs look great and it does make the random gamble <laughs> a little more enjoyable. Well, Captains, this week, the independent MMO website Massively OP asked a relatively straightforward question. What key advice would you give to first-timers in your MMO? In Star Trek Online, the game has just been through the Klingon recruitment event and has now rolled through into a revamped Delta recruitment event. But what does that mean for new players? It's the perfect time to start a new character and take them on a new adventure with all new bonuses available. So if you're brand new to the game, first of all, welcome and welcome to the show. We thought we'd share a couple of pieces of advice that will hopefully set up your captain for success. My first thought was, if you're starting out and you're brand new, choose your weapon type and stick with it. So if you're starting out and you're a Federation character, you will have phasers on your starship. You'll have phasers and photon torpedoes. If you really like phasers, stick with that throughout the game. As you slowly progress and you can upgrade your your weapons, you'll get more advanced versions of phasers that are at a higher level. Stick with those because then you'll find all of the other power-ups and other consoles that are specific to phasers and you can go through and power up over the course as you level up. It would be the same if you were perhaps a Klingon recruit. Stick with what's native to that character. So if they would have disruptors, stick with that. If it's a Jem'Hadar, they may be going Polaron. They're definitely going Polaron weapons. So that would be my advice is stick with that and then choose... You get a couple of options of there's phaser beams, there's phaser cannons. And all those variations are across all of the different energy types. Pick one of those as well. So if you really like phaser beams, my advice would be stick with that. If you wanted phaser cannons, get that. Because again, then you'll get specific consoles and power-ups specific to those weapon types. And you can really have a great time in the game by doing that. And that hopefully that will save you a little bit of grief and get you a little bit further and and some more survivability too. Kat, how about you? Let's see. My advice would be to just, if you're just starting, obviously just 
play the game as it's delivered to you. Don't rush, you know, just play the story missions. Don't worry about your equipment or ships at, you know, when you're first starting. You're pretty much given everything you need through the game. So, you know, don't be in a hurry to buy things and, and think you need the latest and the most upgraded things at the start because you don't. You know, it's really just about getting through the story missions. But my better advice is to join a fleet like Priority One. Elio, how about you? So two things. First of all, this is something for any MMO. And I think that it goes a long way. Get yourself a mouse that has a number pad on the side, okay? Several manufacturers create a version of them. Razer has their Naga uh, mouse. They now do it as yeah, part of their see? Trinity series. Left-handed even. They even have a left-handed <laughs> one. But you you don't need to even spend that much money on uh, like a fancy Razer or, or Logitech. You can go on Amazon and I've actually purchased one that I used to take on the road with me or I've had it as like a backup in case something goes wrong. The company is Utech Smart. These I, I, I didn't have a problem with it. And it's great because you can then assign your powers to the mouse and just with an easy thumb click, execute a power. Those are really great. Speaking of executing powers, maybe, you know, familiarize as you get higher in level and have more and more powers, consider doing a little bit of research into something called key binding, which means that it's, it's a macro, essentially. You're creating a macro that executes in-game commands with a single button, right? It's not as complicated as you think, and there are applications out there that you can download that help set it up for you, especially in Star Trek Online. And also StoWiki. You know, Kat mentioned the the Armada, joining a community. Also, let StoWiki be your friend because StoWiki acts as a bit of an encyclopedia to Star Trek Online with lists of ships, lists of powers, where you can get, like Roscoe was saying, familiarizing yourself with the different energy types to help you decide which one you may want to choose, right? So what's the difference between phaser and antiproton? Everybody's talking about the new hotness anti-proton, but do I want it? Maybe I don't. StillWiki will really help outline what everything does and how it might impact your gameplay. So yeah, those are my pieces of advice. And one last piece of advice, please write this down. Hot, sour, pick-me-up, stemmed glass, drop of honey. There is a mission (laughs) where you will need that, and when I didn't have that, it was very frustrating. So please, (laughs) write that down. Hot, sour, little pick-me-up, stemmed glass, drop of honey, and your game progression will go so much smoother. <laughs> Matt Black it says it makes his eye twitch. You need a little pick-me-up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where's my it's, nerve uh, tonic? Uh, where's the nerve tonic? Ah! <laughs> and before we close out on gaming news, we have one more community question. Why don't you share your key pieces of advice that you'd give to a first-time player of Star Trek Online? Again, keep an eye on our social media channels for this community question post, or just reply to it when we publish our show on PriorityOnePodcast.com. Well, that wraps up gaming news. Now we welcome back Dr. Robert Hurt for this episode's Astrometrics Report. Space. Astronomy, quantum mechanics. It's not theoretical. It's not hypothetical. It's real. Education. Astrometrics. The final frontier. (laughs) 
For this week's Astrometrics Report, we are going to take a journey into darkness, specifically the vast halo of dark matter that astronomers think surrounds our galaxy. Because dark matter is, well, dark, it is notoriously hard to study. It can't be observed directly, and indeed there is no clear idea of what it is. It is only inferred to exist by its substantial gravitational effect on normal luminous matter that we can detect. That effect is not subtle. Scientists think dark matter outweighs normal matter by a factor of 5 to 1. That's a lot of dark, but there is a tiny bit of light in this dark matter tunnel that astronomers have just leveraged to get a handle on all that stuff surrounding our galaxy. Two teams of astronomers have come together in a recent paper published in Nature to compare theoretical models of how dark matter may be flowing around the Milky Way with a challenging observational effort to survey the most distant stars in the outer reaches of our galaxy in a region known as its halo. Our galaxy does have two neighboring galaxies that factor into the study, the large and small Magellanic clouds. These are a standard fixture in our dark nighttime skies, but only from the southern hemisphere. The larger one, the LMC for short, has about one quarter of the mass of the Milky Way and is about 160,000 light years away. For sense of scale, the Milky Way itself is only about 100,000 light years across. It has long been thought that the LMC and SMC are satellite galaxies orbiting the Milky Way. A recent theoretical study out of the University of Arizona has indicated that this orbit should create a kind of gravitational wake in the Milky Way's dark matter halo. But how would one ever find the wake if it existed? This is when a different group of Harvard astronomers came into the picture, reasoning that the sparse scattering of stars in our galaxy's halo would follow the hidden distribution of the dark matter. They set out on a challenging task to find the faint population of the most distant stars around the Milky Way. To do this, they combined star catalogs from two complementary missions. The European Space Agency's Gaia mission has mapped out billions of stars in visible light, while NASA's NEOWISE mission has surveyed the entire sky in infrared light. Only by comparing the visible and infrared signatures of billions of stars could they identify about 1,300 that sit farther out in the halo than even the LMC galaxy itself. This map of our galaxy's most distant stars showed a striking irregularity, one that aligned incredibly well with the dark matter simulation. It's a classic case of theory leading to a hypothesis that could be tested with data. This is the scientific method in action. This study also sheds light on the nature of mysterious dark matter itself. In this case, it lends support for a kind of scenario scientists have dubbed cold dark matter. Refining the dark matter simulations to better match the observations may also help establish more precise properties of this elusive stuff. Make sure to check the show notes for a link to the story and the cool animation showing the dark matter halo simulation. But as a parting thought, I'd like to take a minute to imagine what it would be like standing on a world orbiting one of these distant, lonely stars in the Milky Way's halo. Chances are, you would not be able to see easily the nearest star with your naked eye, as they would just be too far apart out there. Instead, your night sky would be filled with the spectacle of the entire disk of the Milky Way itself, not unlike that closing moment in The Empire Strikes Back, as the Rebel fleet regroups in the far reaches of their own galaxy, far, far away. That wraps it up for this week's Astrometrics Report. Let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, hailing frequencies are now open and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. When news broke of Michael Dorn's imminent return as Worf, everyone was excited about the possibilities. 
we now know that it doesn't look like he's returning to the character for Paramount. But it didn't stop you from speculating on what you wanted to see. From Facebook, Christopher Bounier writes, It's too broad to speculate. For all we know, he's directing episodes. But hope does spring eternal. The tweet does not confirm or deny anything. We'll see. From Facebook, Brad says, Here's a good opportunity to mix TNG DS9 Klingons with Discovery Klingons. Having a couple Discovery Klingons as background Klingons. From Facebook, Alexander Richardson replies, I don't think this necessarily means we'll see the Enterprise. Pretty sure he was told he'll never command a ship again after an incident during DS9. But time will tell. Well, Alexander, Alexander, Cisco said it was unlikely, unlikely he'll command a ship. Never say never. And if you read the books, he's had quite a career. From Facebook, Colin Fox Thomas wrote, What's Ad? Is he going to Assistant Direct with Frakes? So what Colin is asking is that he used the hashtag AD, ad, and typically the hashtag ad is reserved for some kind of paid sponsorship or paid advertising. So it was it was thought that that's what this this tweet was, is that he was, you know, paying he was he had been paid to promote something. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he used it in that sense. Hopefully maybe he did. Maybe it was an advertising tweet. Uh, but sources report to Trek movie and uh, io9 that it's not paramount plus related from facebook james hams responded it's more likely it's for the fleet command game they're doing a tng expansion and much like takei and a few others they've been doing adverts that's interesting and from facebook trevor je writes i'm hoping season three of picard is on the enterprise where i believe Worf is captain unless i missed something i don't think you have trevor We all agree. Well, that wraps up episode 505 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then be sure to subscribe to them all and share them with your friends. And we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like David K. Rutley, Peter Archibald, and Gerald Bosch. And here's a reminder of our community questions for this week. If you were writing for Worf's return in a show like Star Trek Picard, how would you set it up? Also, what items from the Phoenix Prize Pack do you think players should try to get their hands on? And lastly, what are the key pieces of advice you would give to a first-time player of Star Trek Online? Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in the conversation. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at Priority One Pod. And if you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Winters, Anthony, Thomas, Gray, me, plus the rest of the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest news from Star Trek Online and the Armada community, including spotlighting some of our amazing members. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Stowe players, whether you're new or a veteran. Follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times, and if you'd like to join the Armada, visit Priority One Armada. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. During these difficult times, Captains, we are humbled by the continued support of our patrons who find value in the content that we produce each and every week. 
for more details on how you can support the show and become a patron and get awesome items like a Priority One 500th episode coaster or patch, iron on patch, visit us at patreon.com forward slash Priority One. And don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to heroesrisepodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio editors, including Gray, Brandon, William, Daniel, Rand, and the latest addition to the team, Alex. Thanks to our producer, Jake, and associate producers, Shane and Thomas. Together, they help us organize and write up our summary of the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. Thanks to our social media manager, Anthony. Thanks to our graphic artist, Alejandro, with support from Jason of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, and our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Ready weapons. Engage. We're done with the banter. We can go on. <laughs> We're done with the banter. Ends banter. That's good. Banter. <laughs> done, folks. That's how you do banter. If you wanted to know how you did banter, that is an example that of how I you do it. banter. Welcome. Welcome along. Oh, but you got Buenos Aires. Correct? Yeah, well, I, I <laughs> that's true. Like, that's because that was very was good. That's because it was in a song uh, back in the day that taught me all the capitals of South America. <laughs> so... It was the Spanish version of Animaniacs? Is that what it... <laughs> well, don't even get me started. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.